now we are in the last part of the series we've simply called P.S. Timmy. This is looking at, looking just chapter by chapter, looking at Paul's letter to Timothy. And it was simply a letter at the time that he penned it. Paul did not realize the magnitude of what was taking place. Paul was a guy full of the Holy Spirit with a heart to make disciples and to reach out and to to touch people's lives. He's writing a letter to his number one disciple. This is his second letter to him, and this is towards the end of his physical life. So he's hitting some big points. He's made a lot of stuff happen. He's had multiple missionary journeys. He started lots of churches. He's raised up lots of leaders. And now it's about the time for him to be done and the next generation to take over. From his opening breath to the very end, he is thinking generationally. He is thinking about the next group coming up, that they're going to take the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, and they're going to carry it to their peers and to the next generation. And guess what happened? It went thousands of years and thousands of miles, and here you and I are today on the other side of the planet in a very different culture, in a very different time with all these different things and we are recognizing that, guess what, even 2,000 years later that Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except by Him and that that is good news. That, <clears throat> that the new creation has begun, that the old system has been, has been shifted and we now have reconciliation with God. That's the good news. That's awesome. And it's come all this time, and it's because of men like Paul and his passion pouring into Timmy. So he's sitting there writing this to Timothy and and sharing with him. And, And as he's doing this, let's just go ahead and hit our notes, that Paul's letters to Timothy give us insight into the core issues of life and love and leadership. There's this core things about what's happening on those fronts. And the message he wanted to make sure is he's closing up his letter. This is his last little bit of his last letter to his number one disciple. And he wanted to make sure that the message of Jesus is to be kept at the center for all ministry. The message of Jesus is to be front and center. You cannot get away from that. You get out there and you do it and you're going to end up in the wrong place. Years ago, I had the privilege of, of having access to uh, <clears throat> a couple of free airplanes. Had access to a couple of little, little around airplanes. I'd always wanted to get my uh, pilot's license. One of the most expensive parts of that is renting an aircraft. So I had access to, to two um, little Cessna 172s and was able to, to have access to that and found somebody who would work with my schedule and, and teach me how to fly. And I went through that process. And, of course, you get up into the air and there's no roads. There's none of that up there. But, and you're dr- flying to someplace that's a long, long, long ways away. You can't see it. And part of them, they want to be able to understand that you can navigate Okay? If our U.S. government is going to say, yes, we're going to allow you to get up in a plane that has to come down at some point in time, somewhere, they want to be sure that you can put it somewhere a plane is supposed to be. There's only a handful of places on our planet planes are supposed to be. 
in a lot of places that it's bad, bad, bad if the plane ends up there. And so they want to make sure that you can navigate. They want to make sure that you can get there. So you've got all these instruments and all these different things. And, of course, the number one instrument that you've got is your brain and your eyeballs. And so they teach you how to fly that. So we've got our little compass in the plane. And they tell us to, to be able to decide, okay, this I want you to fly this heading. So they say, okay, you're going to fly north, okay? And uh, you pick the heading of 3-6 uh, and you sit there. And if, you just, if I just focused on that deal, I'm all over the place. I guarantee you, if they had the little guys doing sobriety tests in the air, they'd have pulled me over. They'd have had me try to walk a little straight line on the cloud or something. They'd have said, man, this guy's flying drunk. Man, he is just all over the place. And so finally my instructor was like, okay, well, this isn't going to work, okay? I want you to find something, find your 3-6, and immediately look out and find something down the way that's directly away. And then fly to that. Just fly to the point. Just keep your eyes on this point. You're going to cover a lot of ground between here and there. All of it is necessary, but you've got to keep your eyes and move towards a central point or you're going to find yourself all over the wild blue yonder. You're going to be who knows where. Paul wants to make sure that in all of the different things, is it a wonderful, good, must-do thing for us to feed the hungry as believers? Yes, it is. We are not a compassionate, loving people if we forget that part of it. But to simply focus on feeding the hungry, has the message of who Jesus is been proclaimed? No. No. We have to keep Jesus as the front center. We have to be able to do it. Now, to to truly talk about the love and compassion and simply proclaim him and forget to practically love people, is that the message of who Christ is? Not remotely. Are we still, <clears throat> is taking care of widows and orphans a good thing to do? Absolutely. We have to do those things. But we have to keep the message of who Jesus is as front and center. That that is what this is all about. We cannot lose focus of what this is all about. And ultimately, <clears throat> whenever I was flying, one of the things is that it was all about was getting on the ground. I had a buddy of mine who was a pilot had a little plaque, and, and it said, uh, um, flying is the uh, second greatest thrill known to man. Landing is the first. And uh, I tell you what, as soon as you leave the ground, the, your thoughts are, how do I get back here again? You know, it's one thing to just hit the gas and lean back on it, let the plane do its thing. It's a whole other thing to now shove that thing towards the unrelenting planet. And somehow... Decide you're going to be able to come together and have a nice little sweet kiss instead of a, a, a mess. And, uh, <clears throat> and so in that process, you go through all of that. And I just I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to get it done. I couldn't wait to get my pilot's license. I couldn't wait to do all those different things. I finally got to that day. I told, <clears throat> Cutie took me to the airport. I told her, when I come back, you're going to be married to a pilot woman. You're going to be married to a fly man. Yes, she was so excited. And so I thought it was cool. And uh, I'm going to have to get me a jacket and some aviators and give me some patches and stuff. And um, anyways, the, uh, 
So uh, we go, and, and if you've ever done any of this kind of stuff, the test is long. It is a long, long test. So as we're doing it, I go through this long test. Then the guy who's giving it to me, it's so long, we take a lunch break. We go and get some chicken and then come back and finish the test. It is long. The very last part you do is fly. And as we're up in the air, I'm doing all my stuff, doing my S-turns, turns around a point, doing all my cool stuff, showing him that I can do stalls, all, all the different things that I need to do. And the whole time, man, you see on the distance this, these thunderheads coming in, these clouds. And I'm like, oh, he's like, man, we need to get you, we need to get you through so you can fly home. I had to go somewhere else to take my, take my instruction. I go through. I get all of it done. He is signing all the papers. He has to fill out all the paperwork. It takes like half an hour for him to do this. The whole time we're checking the weather, whole time all of this is happening. Finally, I have it. I'm done. I am a pilot. I can get in that plane and I can go. And the very first decision that I had to make was (laughs) the weather is no good and I can't fly. The first pilot decision I made was to not fly. Was that this isn't a wise thing for me to do. And my first pilot decision I made was to get on the phone and call my wife and say, Will you come pick me up? Will you come drive an hour and a half away to come and get your husband who is a pilot but is stuck? And the thing was is I had to stay focused on the whole point. The whole point was to make life-giving decisions. The whole point of being trained in all that is to do it, not just to be able to do the stuff, but to be able to do it safely and to stay focused on life. We have to stay focused on life, that it is found only in Christ. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 1 it says, In the presence of God and in Christ Jesus. Remember, this is a letter. He's writing a letter. This isn't formal. It's a father figure talking to a son figure. And all of a sudden, he kind of gets a little formal. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom. And man, we could spend a lot of time just talking about the, the impact of Jesus showing up. That at the right time, in the view of his appearing, him coming, him doing his thing, and his kingdom. It says, I give you this charge. He gives all this intro. Say, I'm giving you this assignment. I'm giving you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Preach the word. Well, what is that? Well, what is that? Well, John 1 1 defines it in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God in the beginning and he was in the beginning the word became flesh and dwelt among us to preach the word is to preach Jesus his number one thing that he wanted Timothy to stay focused on was to stay focused on Jesus. If we as Christ followers, if we will keep our lives focused on the person of who Jesus is and what he has done, we will not find ourselves getting very far off track. We will stay moving forward. We will stay lined up. If we turn it into something else, we turn it into something else. We turn our relationship with God into something else anything else being able to be social activism do we need to be able to be a part of seeing the oppressed taken care of absolutely 
But if it becomes that and it doesn't stay about focused on Jesus and what he's done, it has been hijacked and it becomes something else. It has to stay focused on Jesus. It has to stay focused on what he has done. See, the truth is, is God has a plan for each of us. And our desire should be to fully run the race that God has for us. To fully run the race that God has for us. You know, as a pastor and as a father with seven kids, we've prayed over all of our children their whole lives that they would have a heart towards God. We know that God has an assignment on their lives, and we would be praying for them. But we would, did not dare make the distinction to say, okay, well, then this is what you fulfill in that assignment has to look like. We knew that that was going to be revealed. You know, obviously, as a minister, you know, I think it would be pretty cool, you know, if my children <clears throat> come up in ministry. My son just finished Bible school, my oldest son, and, and has a, that is all he's eat up with. But when he was a sophomore in high school, did you think you were going to be doing what you're doing today? Not remotely. Did I push you towards ministry? Not remotely. <laughs> Who said yes? I didn't. In fact, I got, into a, I got into a friendly disagreement with a wonderful man of God in Augusta, Georgia, when we were traveling. And I would, <clears throat> was ministering to this guy, and this guy had been, had been he, the weekend we were there, he was celebrating 33 years of ministry at that church, a long time. Long enough to have his kids grow up, now his grandkids being a part of the different things. And we, at that point, we had five kids, and, and so and he was... He was asking me, you know, about our, about our kids and whatnot, if they were going to be able, you know, they're going to go towards ministry. I said, well, you know, we're be praying over them and believing that God is, is going to direct them and that they're going to be able to live their lives and, and make them count the way God has designed them for that to be. And he's like, you need to be pushing them towards the ministry. You need to be praying for them and putting them towards that. And he said, that's, that's God's highest calling. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Sir, I'm going to have to respectfully... Uh, say, I'm going to, I understand that, and, and that's a wonderful perspective, and, and I believe that was God's assignment for me. But I tell you what, we need godly people in every area of life. And if I'm going to be able to pray over your kids, to say, Lord, we need godly people in our school system, and we need godly people in our government system, and we need godly people running local businesses and restaurants, and we need godly people just impacting the next generation. We need godly people on every front, and I'm going to pray that over your kids. How, what, how dare I not believe that that's a wonderful thing that one of my children could end up doing? That somehow that that's somehow a lesser mark. That somehow for them to not be <coughs> being quote-unquote, full-time ministry is somehow some lesser thing. It's not. God has an amazing plan for all of us. It's not just a handful of people that get dubbed some sort of clergy or ministry people and that somehow they're on the front line of everything God's doing and everybody else just plays some sort of bit role. That's not remotely. You have an assignment. You have a plan from God. You have a place of a platform of influence and, a, <clears throat> and giftings and callings that God uniquely crafted you to do to give him glory and to minister to other people that he loves so much and point them to him. He has that for you. And we have to recognize that. Verse 6 says, 
for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. It says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. We kind of get the death imagery in here. You know, this, this concept that he's at the end of his time, and that's what he means. But as raised up as a little Jewish boy, he understands what this drink offering concept means because one of their great heroes is David. Probably heard of him, David and Goliath. That David. He became a king. And at one point, he's in a really rough spot. He's holed up in a hole in the wall, in, in a cave. He's got some really awesome fighting men who love him fiercely. And David comes to this point, and he begins to say, oh, how I would love, and he's just talking mainly to himself. And he says, oh, how I would love to have a drink from the well that sits by the gate at Bethlehem. That's his hometown. Man, I would love to have a drink of hometown water. I grew up in Odessa, Texas. I've never wanted a glass of Odessa water in my life. So I have no idea what he's talking about. Those of y'all that grow up in San Angelo, nobody said, I want some fishy smelling water, please. And so, but obviously this is some good well water. This is some good stuff. And he just wants, he wants to drink and he's just missing it. He's missing some simpler days. He's missing some simpler times that this water represents. It's just his boyhood and just chilling with his friends and having this, this, <clears throat> this, this cup of water right there where things were a simpler day. And he's just sighing to himself. And three of his rock star guys overhear this way. At this point in time, Bethlehem is, is occupied by the Philistines. Those guys that Goliath was a part of, they had to fight all these years ago. Years later, they've now taken David's hometown, a little bit of retribution. So you take out our number one guy, all these days they never forgave David. And years later, they're occupying his hometown. So these are some guys, vendetta against David. And the, <clears throat> these three guys decide that they're going to make this sneak attack and they come through and they sneak in get some water, get a skin of water, fill it up out of that well, turn around, sneak back out, and bring it to David and said, you wanted some of that uh, well water, Bethlehem? We got it for you. Here you go. And he's just overcome with this place of the love and the gratitude and that these guys were willing to, to risk their lives at this place. And he takes that water and he doesn't drink it. And he says, I recognize this as your, your blood. You were willing to give me your life when you went to get this for me. And this is too precious. This is too precious for me to drink. And I'm just going to pour it out before God as a drink offering. And he takes that water and he worships God and is a place of gratitude. That in the place where he feels attacked, in the place where he feels alone, in the place where he feels defeated, that it reminds him that when you've got relationships like that, you're never beat. I don't care what life's throwing at you. When you've got these people in your life that'll be in the middle of your fight with you, I don't care what kind of fight you're going through. You are a rich person when you've got one or two or three people who will lay it all on the line for you. You are a rich person. I don't care what else is going on in your life. And you get your eyes off of what really matters and the relationships. I'm telling you, you can, you can whine about anything. 
You can be a millionaire and whine that your mansion isn't big enough. You can whine about a bunch of stupid, sorry, first world problems. But man, when you've got life-giving relationships in you, everything's good. And all of a sudden, he's reminded, I've got three people who are willing to sacrifice their lives to get me a drink of water. Oh my gosh, God, forgive me my whining. Lord, and just pour it out. He just poured it out as a drink offering. It just represented their entire lives, everything out on the line. And he tells his son, Timothy, guess what? I'm ready. My life is at the end. I've poured it all out. I've risked it all. And I'm ready to be poured out like a drink offering. I'm here at the end. It's, these life-giving relationships are all what it's about. My departure, the time of my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What an amazing thing to say. You get to the end of your life and you hug the people that are there and, and you tell them, you know what, God's got something great for you and you keep rolling, but my time is at an end. And I've done what God's asked of me to do. Man, that is my prayer. It says, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This isn't just something that Paul is a part of. This is available to everybody. <clears throat> See, it, <clears throat> this reiterates what he says in Acts twenty twenty four. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. What is him finishing the race? He tells us. And complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He's already told Timothy, buddy, carry the message of Jesus. He says in the completion of what he had already said earlier in Acts 20 on one of his missionary journeys. I've done it. I've carried the message. Now you, Timothy, you go forth. You carry the message too that this is what it is all about. And he closes his letter. He closes it all up and buttons it all up with this understanding that to nurture the life-giving relationships God has given you and to forgive all others. Every person in your life falls into one of two categories. They either build you up or they tear you down. Those that are in your life that are pouring into you and building you up, savor those. Pour back into them. Nurture those. And those that are tear you down, just forgive them and move on. If we spent as much time trying to think about how to be a blessing to those who have blessed us as we have sulking over those who have hurt us, how much better would our lives be? We just take that and we just flip it. No more extra time involved. Man, somebody can be blessing and we say thank you and you're sweet and wonderful and we move on and we never think of it again. Got some background music. And um, joys of meeting in a theater we don't control. And... um, But that's what it says, is to nurture those and let the other ones go. Just forgive them. Just forgive them. Let's look at verse 9. It says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Circeans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. 
because he's helpful to me for the ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, and especially the parchments. You know, if Paul had been thinking that this was going to end up as part of the Bible, I don't know that he'd have put the little shopping list in there. Um, hey, uh, grab my coat. Um, I, I want my coat, buddy. And, oh, yeah, and a couple of other things. He's just, it's just pouring it out, and the Holy Spirit is just ministering, ministering through this and is inspiring every word that's a part of this. Verse 14, it says, Alexander the metal worker did a great harm, <clears throat> did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. He just, I turn him over, and I deal with that. That's in God's hands. It says, for you, too, should be on your guard against him. Now, is he saying, oh, this is a jerk and you need to shun him? No. This guy, if you read in Acts, this guy tried to shut down the message of the gospel. He tried to shut it down. He was an opponent to that. So he's given his number one son, hey, this guy, you come in contact with this guy, you be watchful for him. He's going to try to shut your ministry down. He's just being watchful. It's not being hateful. Where am I? You too should be on your guard against him, for he strongly opposed our message. At my defense, no one came to support me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. He's given this guy on the inside. He's not writing this letter to the Galatians. The Galatians is to a whole area. He's not writing this letter to the Ephesians or the Corinthians. That's to a whole church. He's letting his number one guy know some of the individual things that went on to his life. We all have to have people that we're able to be honest and real with. And Paul had that with Timothy, okay? But that doesn't mean that we all go around and talk about all of our wounds that anybody ever done to us. This is a very private conversation. But even in that, he says, <clears throat> that it not be held against them. He's releasing it. He's forgiving. He says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that all the Gentiles should hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely in, <clears throat> to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he closes out with this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. He singled them out. Tell them I said hi. These are people who have been a part of his ministry. Priscilla and Aquila show up lots of times. And they show up in different orders. Sometimes like Priscilla and Aquila, her name shows up first, which is a pretty big deal when you look at in <clears throat> these ancient writings. She was a, she was a powerhouse. And, um, and so he is sitting there and talking about all of these different people that are meaningful to him and passing on these different things. Verse 21, he says, do your best to get to me before winter. Ebulus greets you, and so does Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. He opened it up talking about him having grace in Christ Jesus. He closes his letter to Timothy speaking grace over his life. This whole thing is sandwiched in this concept of grace. And from beginning to end, his number one heart is to see the truth 
that God brought this message of who Jesus is and what he has done to him. And our role is to carry it to the next generation. Our role is to stay focused on that thing that's down there. You know what? As we sit here and if we try to focus and say, you know what? God's called us to do this little to fly this little three six and we feel like we're all over the place if we'll just lift up our eyes and say you know what god's called us to impact that next generation god's called us to carry it there and we'll just love them and we'll just move forward to them i guarantee you the rest of it's going to take care of itself we just say you know what god's brought the truth of his love and i just want to carry it forward to somebody else the rest of it will take care of itself god's called us to love him and to love others So as we look at this, one more time, let's ask the questions. Where are we? Where are we? Where are you? God has you on a growth trajectory. I don't know what it is. We've all got stuff to deal with. Thank goodness God doesn't deal with it all at one time. Which means that there's some junk that the Holy Spirit just kind of leaves alone for a little bit. So you and I have to be patient with each other. If the Holy Spirit's leaving alone, we've got to leave alone. Okay? So we're going to be patient with each other. But we all have some front burner stuff that the Holy Spirit's saying, no, this is where we need to grow. This is what we need to deal with. And that's the question. Where am I? God, in this process, Lord, how am I doing on nurturing the relationships that you've given me? God, how am I doing on forgiving those? What's my percentage of time that I spend thinking? Is it all the blessings that you've brought into me and all the people? Or is it the hurt and the pain and the frustration that a handful of people have given me? Where am I? And then once this is brought about, then we ask the pertinent next question, because this first question means nothing without the second question. It's which way forward from here? We stay on the first question and we can get under the weight of guilt we can get under the weight of shame we can get under the weight of all this different stuff but the holy spirit says this is how you you move on this is how you leave that behind this is how you grow and and move to the next level so which way forward and i just want us to take a little moment and i'm going to i'm going to challenge you to let the holy spirit speak to you for just a minute And in this quiet moment, maybe what you're hearing is the truth of who Jesus is, and you just, you just want to place your faith in him. You just want to start this relationship thing. And if that's you, and you say, you know what, I recognize that Jesus died for me. That I'm right with God based on what Jesus did, not based on what I plan to do. I'm right with God with what Jesus did, and I believe it. I'm not right with God because I'm asking him to make me that way. He's made me that way, and I believe it. He's done it in Christ. And if that's you, I want you to just raise your hand, and we want to pray with you. Awesome, awesome. So good. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Believers, I ask you to just lift your voices with these. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. 
I thank you for the truth of who you are. That you are my Father. That Jesus is my Savior. And that now I am your child. Because what Jesus has accomplished. He died for me. He was buried for me. He rose again for me. And he ever lives for me. He is the firstborn of the new creation. And that's why I'm now a new creation. I thank you for meeting me where I am. And I thank you for not leaving me there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes. Woo. I just want to stand up right quick. I want to pray over you as you go out of here. If that was you, if you need any kind of prayer or any resources or anything, in these blue boxes on each side, we've got, uh, um, we've got uh, some Bibles, a little book, some music, some resources. If you need that, just go over there and let them know you need that. I want to pray over you as we go out of here today.